Hello, and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. Brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. For pro wrestling news, talk, and more information, follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPN. For news, info on breweries that we've worked with, and much more, check out www.processpotables.com. On this week's episode, we are in week seven of Quarantine Wrestling. A lot more releases somehow in WWE, and wrestling continues to have some good nights Wednesday and some really bad nights Friday on a consistent basis. That and so much more we talk about on this week's episode of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. My name is Corey Oates, and I'm your host. Uh, this week and every single week, we drop every single Monday morning as part of the Podcast Potables Network, and we give you the best in the week that was, well, the best and the worst in the week that was professional wrestling. But before we start, like every single week, let's break down this week's news with this week's Quick Sips. And uh, for quick sips this week, I am drinking a Cape May Brewing Company Citrus Sandy called The Grove. All right, it's at 4.5 ABV. And uh, I'll read the profile. The Grove drinks like you picked the fruit this morning. Squeezed it into a glass and poof, turned it into the most intensely crushable beer you've ever seen. Snappy, super bright, and ridiculously refreshing. The Grove is sweet and tart with a brilliant aroma reminiscent of walking through a citrus grove at the harvest. I am a huge fan of a lot of things that Cape May Brewing does. Usually in the uh, end of April, early May, I always usually find my way down there, obviously with the quarantine going. I really don't have a reason to go down to the shore, but uh, I will try and make my way down there in the next month or so just to get some more beer. Um, this is extremely refreshing, great summertime beer. Hopefully it sticks around. Uh, for more than just a couple of weeks, as uh, a lot of the things are one and done. But this is a great summertime beer. For quick sips, we'll start off with the news this week. Samoa Joe returned to Raw this week to replace Jerry the King Lawler behind the announce desk. If you recall, Samoa Joe was injured filming a commercial for Raw a few months back and then tested positive for a wellness policy violation. WWE star Kevin Owens has been sidelined with an ankle injury following his match with Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 36. In an interview with RDS, which is the Canadian Sports Network, Owens commented on his injury. Owens will undergo uh, x-rays to determine exactly how severe the injury is and when he will be able to return to the ring. According to a report from the Wrestling Observer, Jimmy Uso recently suffered a knee injury and will be out of action for six to nine months. It is believed Uso suffered the injury during the Triple Threat ladder match at WrestleMania. As of now, he'll be undergoing that surgery next week, but the exact day is unknown. Well, WWE 2K21 may have been canceled, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a new WWE video game release this year. As confirmed Monday morning uh, with a brand new trailer for WWE Battlegrounds. The announcement says, WWE Battlegrounds is a completely new WWE gaming experience that will feature arcade-style action and over-the-top rope uh, superstar designs, environments, and moves. Developed by Saber Interactive Studios, who made NBA 2K Playgrounds, the game will focus on pick-up-and-play fun as opposed to a more hardcore gaming experience. Uh, as for the future of WWE 2K franchise, here is an update, here is an update given in full. We've heard and appreciated your feedback and continue to listen to you closely. Since launch, we've released five title updates, addressing hundreds of reported concerns, and have released four WWE 2K20 Originals uh, DLC expansions to build on and improve the experience. 
We've also heard your request to keep the WW2K19 servers running. They will remain active for the time being. All that being said, we hear you and know you want more from the franchise. So here's what we're going to do. We are applying what we've learned uh, to the next 2K simulation game with a renewed focus on quality and fun. As part of that commitment, we are extending the production timeline and will not be releasing a 2K simulation game in 2020, the fiscal year for 2021. We want to ensure that the development team at Visual Concepts uh, can create a great game that will entertain uh, grizzled WWE veterans uh, as well as newcomers who want to climb through the ropes and step into the ring for the very first time. We've recruited Patrick Gilmore to serve as our new executive producer and lead these efforts as Visual Concepts. Patrick has over 25 years of experience in video games, reaching all the way back to Disney's Aladdin on Sega Genesis, I remember that game, uh, and including franchises like Killer Instinct, Medal of Honor, and most recently, Amazon's New World. He will be overseeing WWE's 2K development, and you'll be hearing more from him and the team in the months to come. According to WWE Network News, the upcoming docuseries Undertaker The Last Ride will premiere on the WWE Network next Sunday, May 10th, following the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. The show will be airing uh, right there, like I said, on the WWE Network. Uh, The first episode titled Chapter 1, The Greatest Fear, uh, and features the following synopsis. Get a rare and revealing look at Mark Holloway, the man behind The Undertaker, as he prepares for his final match in his storied career against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33. Now, this was the 15-minute preview, well, part of the 15-minute preview that they showed uh, after WrestleMania 36, night number two, and that 15 minutes alone was extremely compelling. I cannot wait for this entire series. According to a report from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Sami Zayn was originally scheduled for last week's uh, WWE SmackDown broadcast, but made the choice not to come. WWE claims anyone who is not comfortable working right now doesn't need to attend their tapings, and Zayn doesn't want to work these days due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It remains to be seen uh, how long that will go over with WWE officials, despite them publicly saying talent doesn't need to be there if they aren't comfortable. Vince McMahon has been at all of the TV tapings in recent weeks, and if he's there, you can bet he wants all the talent there as well. Zayn tweeted out last week that he had a wisdom tooth extracted, and for what it's worth, Zayn has not appeared on WWE TV since WrestleMania 36 night one, and during that show, he uh, of course retained the Intercontinental title in a match over Daniel Bryan. According to PW Insider, WWE is opposing several trademarks that former WWE superstars The Revival recently filed. Scott Dawson is now going by the name Cash Wheeler, while Dash Wilder is now using the name Dax Hardwood. While they were still under contract with WWE, they filed for the following trademarks. No Flips, Just Fist, Say Yeah, and FTRKO. As of now, WWE has requested a 90-day extension to oppose the above trademarks. Uh, They have until August 26th to file an opposition for the trademarks or file another extension. Uh, Basically, WWE isn't going to allow them to use their new trademarks for at least 90 days and possibly beyond. It's kind of petty, uh, but that's just what WWE does at this point. If you are a fan of Being the Elite... This week, at the very end of the episode, there was an FTR reference at the end there, kind of insinuating what we all assumed, that that is the next spot where the Revolt, former Revival, are going to land. And while we're on the topic of WWE messing with copyrights, WWE has filed for an extension on oppositions to trademark registrations made by Cody Rhodes. PW Insider reported that the company was granted an extension to file an official opposition or request an extension on trademarks for Slamboree and The Match Beyond. WWE required these uh, WWE acquired these trademarks when they bought WCW in March of 2001. Cody filed for the trademark of Cody Rhodes a day after WWE's trademark for the name expired. But now WWE has until July 22nd once again to respond to the latest trademark request. It's been announced that Curtis Axel has been released from WWE. WWE issued an official statement on their website to confirm the news that read the following. WWE has come to terms with the release of Curtis Axel. We wish him all the best in his future endeavors. Axel is part of the long list of staff and wrestlers who were released by the company due to budget cuts that relate to the impact of the coronavirus. 
Uh, if you recall, Curtis Axel is the son of the late Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and is one of the best overall hands in uh, the sport. I have always spoke highly of him. He was one of the people that got the rock even training for his comeback back at WrestleMania 28 and 29. Uh, I think it'll be the first time that he's really got a chance to test the waters of the independence as well. And I think that he'll be able to maybe even go more towards a Joe Perfect to maybe go towards his dad's Mr. Perfect character if he so chooses to do. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander finally have a new tag team name, and it's the Two Fly Crew. Yes, Raw's newest tag team finally has a name, and I could care less. Despite previous reports of WWE Hall of Famer Gerald Briscoe being released by the company earlier in the week, that wasn't the case. Dave Meltzer updated the report that he originally said that Briscoe was released, uh, that he was actually furloughed and briscoe took to his twitter account to address the same thing uh and he said what a writer made was a mistake to set things straight i have not been let go yet i've been placed on furlough don't know who leaked the wrong news i hope to get back and able to help young folks find their dream and on the release train kane velasquez has been released from wwe uh, the two-time UFC heavyweight champion only had a couple of matches in WWE, and neither of them took place inside of the United States. Velasquez was brought in as a big surprise during WWE's Fox debut back in the month of October 2019. He was put in a WWE title match at Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia versus Brock Lesnar, uh, where Lesnar essentially squashed Velasquez uh, in the Saudi Arabian uh, match. Velasquez disappeared after that. But he did tag with Rey Mysterio during a November 30th event in Mexico. Velasquez also needed surgery, but he was reportedly hoping that the stem cell treatments would take care of things. It wasn't noted that he is injured at this time. He was also telling people that WWE had him scheduled to be in the Royal Rumble, but didn't appear. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. And we start off every single week on a Monday night with the longest Raining episodic television show Monday Night Raw in week seven of wrestling in quarantined empty buildings, which I mean might be changing. There was a news report that came out this week that the state of Florida, which has deemed professional wrestling and sports an essential business so they can actually operate and do live shows, but they will be allowing apparently up to 25% arena capacity very, very soon. So it'll be interesting to see once WWE maybe gets some people in the performance center on how it might improve the product going forward. And like I said, we start off our Monday Night Raw live from the performance center. We open up with a VIP lounge. MVP brings out Rey Mysterio, Apollo Crews, and Aleister Black. Just as the segment is getting going, Zelina Vega and her crew of Andrade, Austin Theory, and Angel Garza come out. And this turns right into a six-man tag match to start off Raw. This match gets three segments and goes close to a half an hour. As you'd assume, this match was pretty fast-paced with a lot of near-falls. Apollo Crews gets the pin with a sit-out powerbomb on the U.S. champion Andrade. When we come back from the commercial, Charlie Caruso is interviewing Andrade and Zelina. Andrade says that Ray, Alistair, or Apollo couldn't beat him in a title match. Apollo says that he'll beat Andrade twice in the same night. Zelina Vega grants him the United States title match, and we have a match tonight with Andrade versus Apollo Crews. Next, we see Asuka versus Shayna Baszler versus Nia Jax, but this match doesn't ever get started. Jax runs over both of these girls, and that's as far as we get. Now, uh, they always feel that they need to put a monster of sorts in the money in the bank match. Someone who maybe wouldn't be the type of person you'd expect to be climbing a ladder for maybe the sake of everybody competing, including the person themselves for their own safety. Uh, so I can imagine them doing the big show spot like they did several years back with Nia Jax, where there's going to be a bigger, sturdier ladder that she uses for herself, which I'm sure will end up bringing backlash to WWE for possible fat shaming. Uh, but that's the stuff WWE is typical of doing. So we'll see next Sunday if uh, I'm right on that assumption. We're going to get Lashley versus Denzel Desjardins, but first, before that, we get Lashley in the back telling Lana that he doesn't think she should come to ringside. 
And when she asks why, he says because he gets so distracted by how beautiful he is. Seems like they're already starting to really move forward with the breakup angle between Lashley and Lana. Stay tuned in the next couple of weeks to see where that goes. For the second week in a row, we get Liv Morgan versus Ruby Riot on Monday Night Raw. And for the second week straight, Liv Morgan gets a clean, decisive win over Riot. Liv Morgan, uh, for what it's worth, is now 7-2 in singles televised matches since returning to TV. And Ruby Riot is 0-5 since returning to TV, which is kind of strange because a couple weeks ago, like I had brought up, they pretty much protected her unless she was against top people. She was usually always winning her matches before she went out with that injury. Next up, Nia Jax is backstage with Charlie Caruso. This was horrible. All right. Nia Jax spent the entire promo yelling at Charlie Caruso. Now, here's why this is bad. Jim Ross has always told a story about how when he was back in the Mid-South days, he used to hold the microphone for the interviews as well as doing the ring announcing. When Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express first came into Mid-South, Cornette cut a two-minute promo basically berating JR. When it was done, Cowboy Bill Watts, who was the owner of the promotion, freaked out on him afterwards because he said that he's not booking a feud between his heel manager and his announcer and told him to never do that again. So the announcer's job is to ask the questions and hold the mic so that the wrestlers can get their point across that they're looking to make in said promo. This got nothing over besides Nia Jax can't cut a goddamn promo to save her life. We already know that she's not safe in the ring. She also can't put a match together. And now we have also confirmed in three weeks that she now can't cut a promo to save her life. So she is essentially the total package of complete shit, in my opinion. And I do not want her on my TV screen anymore. That's just my take on it. Next up, we get the Viking Raiders cutting a great pre-tape promo, setting their focus on the Street Profits. They say how the Profits never beat them in NXT. They became the champs after the Raiders relinquished the titles. They say that the Profits win the Raw Tag Team titles after they got injured, which, I mean, isn't really true. They technically lost them straight up to Murphy and Seth, but it's WWE and they control the narrative of what they want you to believe. Uh, so the story is that they got hurt, and that's why the Street Profits became the tag team champions. But back to the point here is that they're setting up for the Raiders versus Street Profits for the tag titles, which I'm a huge fan of because if you remember, these guys had some great NXT matches just a little over a year ago. So I'm expecting more of the same when they finally get to meet as part of the Raw brand. Uh, here's the point in the uh, show where they let us know that former WWE champion Jinder Mahal is going to be making his return, and he's going to be taking on Akira Tozawa. So, yet another return. The AEW's had all the debuts. WWE has had all the returns to no crowd reaction, and this one went over pretty rough, because the only reaction that Jinder Mahal got was on Twitter, which he took to uh, after his match, and was not very happy with the response that he got. Uh, but this match was used as a squash match. Jinder Mahal wins with the Coloss. Now, what I've been really opposed to is that they're using these NXT guys that are on the same network two nights later, and they're using them in squash matches on Monday Night Raw. So what is that saying about the NXT guys? It's doing absolutely nothing for them, and you're trying to build that brand still. Monday Night Raw is a known entity. Just like the brand of WrestleMania, just like the brand of WWE, just like the Royal Rumble brand. The NXT brand, for what it's worth, as a name, is 10 years old. But as a, a, a brand itself, as an actual company, it's only in its, I believe, sixth year. The, the network launched in February of 14, and right away was when they went with that first takeover. Before that, everything they had done was on Hulu. So... The brand is still really trying to get its feet, not to mention they've only been on national television since October. And you're putting these new guys out there that are having great matches on a Wednesday night, and then two nights prior, every single week, these same guys are getting their asses kicked, and it's fucking pointless. I absolutely hate it, but again, that's just my opinion. Up next, Andrade defending the United States title against Apollo Crews. Crews gets his knee injured early on in this match. He did a pretty good job selling the injury for the first 15 plus minutes of this match uh, that these two had. The match ends when Apollo does a uh, jump off the rope 
Andrade gets out of the way, and when Apollo lands and rolls out, he uh, his knee just gives out. The referee stops the match, stating that Apollo cannot continue. Uh, so, um, what ends up happening is, is they pull Apollo Crews out of the Money in the Bank ladder match. So, I'm assuming being that this match has already been filmed, I fully expect Apollo to show up and have some form of role in this match. What that role is, we will find out, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. We get announced that the Viking Raiders versus the Street Profits we're going to get next week on Raw for the Raw Tag Team titles. So we're going to dive right into that, and I'm okay with it. Might be uh, one of the better matches on the program this coming Monday night. And to close out Monday Night Raw, Jerry the King brings out Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre for the contract signing for the WWE title match at Money in the Bank. I want to just bring up the fact that, yeah, Jerry the King Lawler, who has been on the announced team, he is 71 years old. They didn't want him flying into the shows, but he started coming to the tapings, I believe, two weeks ago. And now he's still making the flight from Memphis during this pandemic just so he can appear on TV for a minute and a half. I don't really see what the point is in that, especially when WWE is trying to cut people left and right to save on expenses. So naturally they just fly a guy in to barely use him. Kind of made no sense to me there. The things I took away from this is that Seth is taking this Messiah gimmick to a darker place. His delivery of words and overall demeanor are coming off from a completely different place. And I kind of dig it. He came out for this promo in an all black suit, white shirt, black tie uh, with the black glove on his right hand. And He's just, he's speaking slowly and with a deeper tone. And you can see that he's kind of in his own world. And I like what they're doing. It's kind of almost like they had an idea for the Messiah character, but now they're zeroing in more on it. And this is better than what it originally started out as. So I'm, I'm a fan of what they're doing. We'll see where it goes. I'm fully expecting for Drew McIntyre to win this Sunday at Money in the Bank. Uh, We see the return of Murphy at the end of this as well. He ends up taking a Claymore, uh, essentially saving Rollins from taking the blow to close out Raw. This Monday will be the go-home to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so we're going to see what WWE has in store for us, uh, because I really don't know what else there is to to say to round out this uh, pay-per-view. Uh, besides finding the replacement for Apollo Crews. On to Impact Wrestling. Tuesday night, we get night number two of Impact's Rebellion pay-per-view. If you remember last week, it was main evented by Sammy Callahan versus Ken Shamrock in a match that I had potential for from the buildup, but it kind of fell flat in a parking lot in the end of things. They announce pretty much right out of the gate here that the knockouts uh, champion Jordan Grace and Taya Valkyrie are not here due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But in replace, you're going to see Rosemary versus Havoc in a full metal mayhem match. And at this, I just shook my head, mainly because of the fact that two weeks ago, these two joined forces to get rid of the Sinister Minister. So it only makes sense for them to put them in a match but a hardcore gimmick match with no story behind it i don't see why this is necessary at all but then they tell us that in addition to eddie edwards not being there to compete in the three-way match for the impact world title tonight the champion tessa blanchard is essentially quarantined and stuck in mexico and she can't get out to defend the title that night so after the last replacement match i can only imagine what they were going to do for this Because, uh, I mean, your world title match isn't going to happen. But they wait till essentially hour number two of four to let you know that it's not going to happen. This, this is some classic TNA shit of what people complained about. I have always been a supporter of TNA since back in the early days of the promotion. And they have had their ups and their downs. Well, this company has been on a pretty good roll for the last 18 months since Scott Demore and Don Callis took the reins and this whole these two nights have just been really 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 questionable 
so Joseph P. Ryan versus Cousin Jake of the Deaners. Now, this match I was curious about because Joseph P. Ryan has always been a comedy gimmick as Joey Ryan. But he always claimed himself, you know, in interviews that he was a good wrestler. But I've never gotten a chance to see that because his whole thing was just the dick gimmick. And I, I didn't want the dick gimmick. I want to see what this guy actually can do when putting on a match. Uh, he's basically now right to censoring himself. The, the equivalent of that. Uh, he wins the match with the schoolboy and he grabbed the rope. So he plays a great heel. And so I'm looking to see how it progresses in the coming weeks. Uh, he's been, he was tagging with Rob Van Dam, but before all this stuff happened and, uh, everything they had taped was prior to the shutdown of things. And Van Dam, I'm sure is in no rush to leave California to go to any type of impact tapings. So we'll see how many more singles matches we get with, uh, Joseph P. Ryan over the next couple weeks. Uh, as Impact did several tapings a couple of weeks back in, I believe, Nashville. Rosemary versus Havoc in an empty arena, full metal mayhem match with no build or story is up next on our pay-per-view, which is being broadcast on TV, which is good for as uh, a product as Impact has been, I would not have paid to have seen a lot of the crap that was on this show. These two use everything from staple guns to chains to street signs, chairs. Havoc ends up choke slamming Rosemary across two folding chairs that weren't gimmicked. When I saw this spot, all I could think of was back to WrestleMania 15, Big Show and Mick Foley. They do the spot where Big Show choke slams Mick Foley and the, the, the seats of the chairs, they collapse in so they, you know, there's give of sort. I cringed as Rosemary's body literally buckled around the chairs not good not safe rosemary ends up winning uh as she <clears throat> she locates a lead pipe and hits havoc in the head with it while she's being choked with a chain by havoc yeah wrestling <sighs> 40 minutes left in the show and michael elgin comes out he reminds us that one year ago uh, at Rebellion is where he made his debut when he attacked Brian Cage, who is another person that we haven't seen in a long time. I recall them saying that his contract with Impact was up and that he had signed with AEW. And then he basically discredited that account and said that it's not true. But he hasn't been seen in several months. So I'm kind of curious as to where his whereabouts are. Uh, he says that Eddie Edwards and Tessa Blanchard aren't there tonight. And that he wants Dave Penzer, the ring announcer, to come into the ring and announce him as the new Impact World Champion. As this is happening, the lights go out and Moose comes out. And he opens up his robe and he is wearing the TNA World Championship to the ring. And he is completely dressed like the fucking Ultimate Warrior. This guy's wearing tassels, neon colors. He's got the, um, the tassels that are on the boots. And it was just strange. It was very strange, but he comes out and he's got the TNA world title. After this, Hernandez also comes out and joins. So now we have still a three-way match. Um, is it for the TNA world title? Is it for a title? They they never explained this. Uh, this match was very long. As you could see, this started with 40 minutes left on the show. And even uh, for... Fast forwarding this match, it was long. It seemed to just go on forever and ever with three guys that are all big men. If we know one thing, big men matches don't need to go a half hour. There is no point in that at all. Uh, Hernandez does a dive over the top rope and clears it, but lands on Elgin really badly. It looked like Elgin uh, bent over forward, and then Hernandez, who's well over 300 pounds, comes flying over and just lands right on the back of of Michael Elgin. So I'm not sure if he broke the fall gracefully or if he actually, you know, had some injury out of that. Obviously we'll find out in the coming weeks if Michael Elgin's actually injured from that. Uh, Moose spears Hernandez and wins the match and then forces the announcer to uh, announce him as the TNA world champion as the show goes off the air. Now I'm pretty sure that had this have happened on pay-per-view as planned with the original card, this could have been a decent card and the matches would have played out probably pretty well in front of a hot New York crowd. But this was thrown together. And the problem was that it seemed like it was thrown together with no rhyme or reason. I was not a fan of this show. Whatever you do, do not go out of your way to watch 
impacts rebellion. We start off with Wednesday Night Dynamite, my favorite night of the week. We started off with All Elite Wrestling's flagship show. Uh, Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes in the semifinals of the TNT title tournament starts off this week's episode of Wednesday Night Dynamite. Early in this match, Brandy Rhodes gets ran into by Darby Allen into a guardrail. So they take Brandy to the back. All right, so here's what's annoying to me, is that some weeks Brandy's a wrestler. and other weeks, she's not. If they're going to try and say that Brandy's not a wrestler, then I can get behind her taking a hit from one of the boys and being injured. I think back to Miss Elizabeth days when she got taken out. She was just a manager, not a wrestler. So she would take the blows differently. And so in this situation, um, if she's not a wrestler, I can get behind it. If she is a wrestler, this is what they're going with. I absolutely hate this. Darby Allen probably weighs 15 pounds more than she does, for Christ's sake. So why am I supposed to believe that she is so injured as a wrestler from this? It's it's there's certain things that you have to ex, uh, you know extend your disbelief for with with professional wrestling. I know that, but some of it is just it it insults your intelligence, and that's where I have a problem with. All right, I shouldn't have to poke at things that essentially insult my intelligence on on the TV screen. Cody's walking around the ringside and Britt Baker hits him with a shoe in the head that he goes down and sells. This would have made way more sense to happen with Brandy still at ringside so that she could have at least gone after her. So uh, maybe could have done that be the takeout spot. Again, it just makes no sense to me. Uh, Darby hits a crossroads for a two and they make a big deal that Cody almost got beat by his own move. At this point, Brandy comes out hobbling to the ring, holding her abdomen, carrying a bottle of water that she hands to Cody, which he doesn't even get to drink. It made no sense to me. It got spilled all over the ring. Cody ends up hitting a coffin drop on Darby uh, as we're closing out the match. Darby then hits his own coffin drop. Cody catches him uh, on the impact down and rolls him up into advance to the finals of the TNT title tournament. Jericho goes on to say, I don't know what was in that water. He didn't fucking drink it. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. That was a little wonky for me uh, because... it made no sense. That's essentially why I, I said that. And just it got me so goddamn fed up watching that. Next up, we get a Wardlow squash match. Beautiful. It was what it needed to be. These bubbly bunch videos. I want to talk about this really quick. Each week they're getting entertaining as hell. Each week, from the the flim flam to the um, uh, the initial one where Jericho rips off the decline of Western civilization part two Aussie scene where he spills the, the orange juice on the counter while he's making breakfast. This week was pretty cool. Had cameos from Lou Ferrigno, Jason Muse as Jay, and Kevin Smith as Silent Bob, to name a few. We saw the return of Virgil this week, uh, Meat Sauce Jones uh, in this week's episode as well. Uh, there's just a nice touch of, of something new and original that they're making these each week for the show and you don't know what to expect. So I, I think it's a really cool thing. that These guys are getting that creative uh, atmosphere to be able to do this up next. I see Jimmy Havoc and I instantly hit fast forward. Okay. I see Penelope Ford after this. And so I watch for a minute or two last week. I swore that they said Trent was going to be taking on Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc by himself, but we're getting both of the best friends in this match. So that was kind of weird to me. Uh, I swear that that was the promo that they they cut. After about a minute or two, I hit fast forward again through this. I I cannot stand. I I can't stand Jimmy Havoc. Chuck got the pin on Jimmy Havoc. Who cares? Moving on. Just figured I should let you know who won the match. We get a great role model pre-tape with Britt Baker shot at her actual dental practice. Former knockout and indie wrestler Rebel was in this as the makeup artist for Britt Baker. Britt is naturally becoming a better heel each week. Uh, and with pre-tape atmospheres like this, she's able to really dial in the the heel persona because they, they turned her and then they were just throwing her out in front of a live audience. So this is really good for her to, to work on her heel persona. Personally, in my opinion, I think she should, you know, maybe ask her boyfriend on tips how to be a great heel because that man has spent the last 10 years on several continents playing a main event heel. Don't you think that maybe once in a while they talk about wrestling? That's just 
That's just my two cents. Sean Spears in another squash match. I've noticed, uh, I, I didn't notice until this week that Sean Spears is using the sharpshooter as a finish. Apparently, he got permission from Bret Hart to use this as a finisher, so that's pretty cool with the Canadian connection uh, here that he went to the man and, and got the permission. So I guess we'll be seeing a lot more sharpshooters in Sean Spears' future as they're maybe trying to build him. I Every time the man gets a win, I assume they're going to build him and then he loses. So uh, as long as he's in the squash match role, he's going to probably be doing rather well Brody Lee versus Marco Stunt this was everything I wanted it to be Brody Lee beat the shit out of Marco Stunt and Marco Stunt got no offense it was a masterpiece next week Dynamite will be live from Daly's Place in Jacksonville we're gonna get the return of Maxwell Jacob Friedman we're gonna get the return of John Moxley as he goes on to face Frankie Kazarian of SCU and Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara in a street fight. That will be interesting. It'll be the debut of Matt Hardy in AEW in an actual match. Main event time, Lance Archer versus Dustin Rhodes in the semifinals of the TNT title tournament. First thing I notice is that Brandy Rhodes is back out here with Dustin. All right, she's fine now and even had time to change her outfit. Uh, so I said that this isn't what I would expect from AEW. I started reading reports that apparently they filmed all these out of order and she didn't think that they were going to put this match on the same episode as the Cody Darby Allen match. So that is why she didn't sell. Okay. All right. I can kind of get behind that. I still hate it but I can at least understand why this at least happened and it was explained. Um, this is definitely the first meeting between Archer and Dustin Rhodes. I really dig Lance Archer. He's big, he's intimidating, he's convincing, and he's an athlete, and he's got a unique look. You cannot find anybody else that looks like this guy. Uh, Dustin takes a chair shot to the head, does a little gig, and uh, is busted open from this. Dustin was named the natural by his dad because his dad felt that he was a natural in the ring. And 30 years later, after getting that name, he is still so fucking good in that ring every week. He's great at selling, his timing, and knowing when to fire up. It, it, his matches uh, like, like this is when his star shines even more. Trying to get somebody new over to the company... Uh, Lance Archer uh, exposes the turnbuckle and Archer throws Dustin in head, head first three times into the turnbuckle. Eventually, QT Marshall, Dustin's tag partner, comes out to throw in the towel. Cody then takes the towel and Archer drags Dustin into the middle of the ring, slams Dustin's head into the mat several times and then places his knee across the throat of Dustin to pin him. So we're going to get Archer versus Cody for the TNT title tournament. I'm assuming that's going to happen at Double or Nothing on May 23rd. A lot of questions for the Double or Nothing pay-per-view I'm sure are going to get set up on this week's episode of AEW as it returns live to Daly's Place in Jacksonville. So the, 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 I'm assuming with that whole towel angle, you're going to maybe get a little dissension between the Nightmare Collective. We'll, we'll find out in the coming weeks. A little swig of beer here. All right, we move on to NXT from this week. We get the return of Mara Ronaldo and Beth Phoenix on commentary this week. Apparently, they were not physically there. Uh, they were moted in to do the announcing. Tom Phillips was there, and he was the third man, but it was seamless. You couldn't actually, in my opinion, tell that they weren't there. So great job production-wise on getting this uh, to go. Right out of the gate, we get LEO. Uh, Dave Fantasmo versus Isaiah Swerve Scott in a Group B Cruiserweight Tournament match. This match uh, really delivered in a fast flying, you know, in a fast high pace match with Swerve Scott getting the win. Uh, what the talking point of this whole thing is the promo that uh, Swerve Scott cuts afterwards uh, of this match. And courtesy of WWE.com, here is that promo. I told you, I have all the respect in the world for that man in the ring. El Fantasma, I know him before getting to NXT. So he's a hard, hard, difficult competitor. But I told you I needed this more than him. I need this more than everybody in this tournament. I will not be denied. 
when the game is on the line and I need that last shot to win the game, I promise you, give that ball to Swerve and I'll always make it. One and one, I have one more to go. And this will be Swerve's house. I absolutely love the sports feel and the stakes that these guys have been putting into the promos for this tournament. Everything from Drake Maverick, uh, you know, being released and having how much you know this means to him to prove himself to to this interview. Uh, they're doing a great job with the importance of these matches in the NXT Cruiserweight Tournament. We're back from break, and Dominic Dijakovic challenges Johnny Gargano for next week, followed by Leo De Fantasmo getting jumped again by these masked guys. Now, this time, it was actually inside of the arena and not outside. Once again, Fantasmo fights them off, and they retreat. Now, he's the first person that they have tried to get and has fought back, but now this has also happened twice. So I don't know where this is going, if either they're eventually going to get him or somehow he's going to be involved with it. I, that would seem too weird to me, being that I don't see this guy uh, as somebody that's going to be able to cut a promo, so he can't be the leader of anything. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see maybe where they're going to go with it because I'm enjoying the fact that this guy's actually putting up a fight, at least with these people, uh, like we discussed on last week's episode. Up next, Candice LeRae versus Casey Catanzaro. Uh, Candice LeRae gets a new song, a new video, uh, to accompany her new look. Johnny Gargano introduces her for a little extra heat on top of this whole package. Uh, LeRae dominated this entire match and gets the win. Now, the only thing that's strange to me is currently Charlotte is your, is your NXT champion. And they've done a great job of making so many women feel like they're top contenders on the brand. Mia Yim, Io Shirai, Candice LeRae, uh, even Chelsea, Chelsea Green, uh, if we're going to name a few of them. Uh, but, but a lot of them are heels, which Charlotte also is. So I'm guessing they're going to just create the narrative that Charlotte is maybe looked at as the outsider uh, from the main roster, uh, but has their title. So it doesn't matter, I guess, maybe who gets a shot at her. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll see how that plays off, but they've, we, we already know that the NXT have more women on their roster than anyone else. And they, they really put a, a lot of stock in those girls. So, you know, I think it's, it's either going to be the opportunity to get them all against Charlotte, or it's just going to be to get them more, more reps on, on a high level. That's the only thing that I can assume. Next week, Adam Cole will defend the NXT title against the Velveteen Dream. We get that announced uh, for next week as well. Charlotte Flair versus Mia Yim is up next. Uh, besides Archer and Dustin, this was the match that I was looking forward to this week. Uh, I've been a fan of Mia Yim since she was in TNA several years back. And then there's Charlotte Flair who consistently has great matches. So I couldn't see how this could be bad. Well, this match was a disappointment. It seemed like there were just times where their timing wasn't there. Um, once Charlotte slapped the figure eight on, she didn't even get the bridge through before Mia Yim tapped out. Very underwhelming, if you ask me, uh, for a match that I really had high expectations in. After the match, Io Shirai comes out and says that next week, Charlotte Flair, you're mine. So I'm not sure if this is going to be the title match that she got from winning that ladder match but I'm guess we're, we're going to find out. I didn't see a follow-up on it when I watched the rest of this show. We get a quick pre-tape vignette. Scarlett Bordeaux and Karrion Cross will debut next week on NXT, as well as Finn Balor is going to make his return to NXT next week. So both, both of these Wednesday night shows have loaded up already with what you're going to get. Obviously, we are in the Wednesday night wars, which AEW has now only lost a handful of times. Dexter Loomis versus Shane Thorne is up next. Dexter Loomis wins again with the Anaconda Vice. What makes no sense to me is that one week ago, this guy randomly ended up in the main event tag match as a babyface, unannounced, and was doing dives and things uncharacteristic of what we've seen him do to date. I mean, he's been very methodical, and each thing that he does is kind of more of a strike and very fast, you know, pace, but nothing diving and, and, and high-flying. Very uncharacteristic of him. Here he is one week later, and he's back to the same creepy, methodical guy that he had been portraying prior to this. So I'm just lost by what they're doing. We've yet to hear this guy talk, so I don't know really what his intentions are, but I kind of like the mystique, but last week really just threw me off. So hopefully somehow this all 
pays out, you know, and figures its way out to making sense somehow for the people watching at home every week. Tony Nese, Drake Maverick in a Group A Cruiserweight title tournament match. Tony Nese dominated this entire match. Eventually, Maverick fired up and made a comeback. Maverick, he is so great with his facials during this match. And I, I really uh, appreciated that as he's fighting underneath from, you know, Tony Nese, who is a former Cruiserweight champion, but he's in very good shape. He's a pretty jacked guy for being in the Cruiserweight division, and he's a great wrestler. Uh, I've seen him on the indies and in his WWE run, and guy, guy puts on pretty good matches. Uh, as expected, Drake Maverick uh, cuts a promo after he he gets the win here. Drake Maverick, uh, he wins with a bulldog off of the top rope. And courtesy of WWE.com, here is the promo that Drake Maverick cuts after that match. Congrats on the win tonight. How sweet is this victory? Sweet. I did it. I told everybody I was going to do it. You know, there was a little bit of me that didn't believe myself, but I did it. And Kashida, you're all that's next, okay? You can call me the Wolf of Wall Street, the Wolf of NXT. I'm not freaking leaving yet. I'm not leaving because I love this. I live for this. And I'm not leaving until I'm the NXT Cruiserweight Champion. I did it, yes! I mean, a worker shoot, you can't deny that since being released from WWE, Drake Maverick has become such a beloved character that everyone is behind to win this tournament. And he takes on Kushida next in the Group A of the NXT title tournament. Being that Kushida has another match to go, I'm expecting this match to happen in two weeks' time. Keith Lee versus Damian Priest for the North American title uh, in the main event of this show. As you'd expect, uh, this was a hard-hitting match. Keith Lee hits a corkscrew dive over the top rope uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, Priest does a dive over the top rope and connects with Lee on the outside. Lee superplexes Priest from the top rope. This was very crisp and looked great. The finish came when Priest got the expandable baton that they're still calling a nightstick. I talked about this last week. Uh, he went on to take it to Keith Lee's throat for the second week, but Lee stops him with one hand. Yells that he is limitless, slaps uh, Priest with uh, two hands to the chest, then takes the baton, closes the baton, hands it off to the ref, and then hits two spirit bombs for the win. Yeah, that sounded as, as shitty as it was. The match felt really flat at the end for me, uh, but I love that Keith Lee keeps getting to have these great matches each week, but we got to get him some new opponents. It's it's really gotten old seeing Damian Priest and Dominic Dijakovic just week in and week out. And that is just my two cents on that. Finally, we've made it. Friday Night Smackdown. Uh, Daniel Bryan versus Baron Corbin opens up our show. Corbin gets disqualified about 20 minutes into this match when Corbin throws a ladder at Daniel Bryan. Then Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura come out and throw ladders at him inside the ring. Then they throw him off the stage into a bunch of ladders. This felt like a match for the sake of two guys being at the taping and they needing to have a match. Of all wrestling shows in quarantine, SmackDown is by far the most underwhelming and it's tough because it's the very last thing that I have to watch and anybody has to watch technically every single week with wrestling. Am I the only person that feels this way? That that this show is just never good? And I love Bruce Pritchard. I know he's the producer of it. But my God, is this just cringeworthy each freaking week. Up next, Sheamus in a squash match. After that, we get another Jeff Hardy redemption video that plays, saying that Jeff will be returning to SmackDown next week. To which Sheamus says if Jeff Hardy's going to be there, then he will be there as well. Carmella versus Mandy Rose in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Now, I never thought this, but Mandy plays a, a pretty good baby face. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Y she could be both sides of the of the this, this circle here. I mean, you had someone Trish Stratus did the same thing. Beautiful blonde girl. So easily you can play the heh. All the guys want me, they can't have me. All the girls want to be me, they can't be me. But then, as the baby phase, you can be that, you know, gorgeous, beloved person if you have that characteristics. And she she, she does. She, she comes across 
as a baby face, it's, it's crazy. As a heel, she could, you could be like, uh, she had that go away bitch heat, but she comes across really, really likable. And it could just be because she's with Otis right now, but she's very sympathetic as a baby face. That also being said, Sonya Deville is a great heel. She's, she's doing absolutely tremendous as this heel role. She comes out onto the stage uh, with a mic and continues to talk shit on Mandy during this match uh, while the match is going on. It got annoying after about the first 20 seconds, but I got what they were doing. Uh, Carmella gets the win with a super kick, and then Sonya hits the ring and beats down Mandy Rose. This was vicious, and I liked the intensity that Sonya Deville showed on it. And like I said, Mandy got great sympathy as the babyface in this situation. I'm a, I'm a fan to see where this goes. Uh, I ultimately believe this is going to end up just in a mixed tag match between Otis, Mandy, Dolph, and Sonya, but I'll take what we can get if they tell the story right. Uh, New Day, Big E and Kofi versus the Forgotten Sons. The Forgotten Sons get the win here. I'm still not sold on the Forgotten Sons, but it seems like WWE is, uh, and that they're probably attaching the rocket with these guys. They they beat the tag champions. So interesting to see where they go in the coming weeks now that they have a win over them. Uh, I know that the Forgotten Sons are all former Marines, and... They all apparently trained with Dory Funk Jr. for several years in Florida. But they're still not connecting to me. I don't know what it is. And I've gone over that before. And I, I just I can't put my, my finger on it. The main event for SmackDown this week is Otis versus Dolph Ziggler in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Otis wins the match after countering a super kick from Dolph and then hits the Caterpillar uh, into the elbow drop. So... They were basically saying that this is the biggest win of Otis's career. I mean, personally, I would think that the WrestleMania match where he finally got his girl would be the biggest match of his career. But I mean, I guess qualifying for the Money in the Bank match could do the same. At this point, we have for the men's Money in the Bank, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, Daniel Bryan, Baron Corbin, and Otis, who qualified. We're going to find out tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw. Well, technically tonight, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, who will replace Apollo Crews in, as the sixth man for next Sunday's Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Uh, that's really it for me. This is going to drop today, uh, Monday morning right here. You're also going to have a brand new Process Potables in your feed as well. So do us a favor. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We need five more likes on the Process Potables feed to get to 100 we really could use that we'll be back next weekend with a wrap-up of the week and then a highlight a recap of money in the bank next week as well i'll talk to you next week on a new power bombs and potables until then stay safe and stay over